Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome once again to another episode of the Mega Strange Podcast. Thank you for joining us, everybody. You're here with Derek and Johnny. Hello. On a Saturday at noon, as you should be, uh, because today we have a legendary episode about some legendary relics. And Johnny actually got a legendary haircut. Yeah, I was going to say. And the barber may have used some legendary enchanted shears because that's looking super fresh, my friend. Yeah, maybe we should bring back an old Mega 64 teen bit where everyone calls me daddy in the comments. Um, yeah, maybe we should bring that back for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you feel so inclined, you yeah. can leave that comment down below. Welcome back, everybody. We have a fantastic episode today. We are talking about enchanted swords. And other mythological, no, 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 not mythological no. weapons, yeah. legendary, legendary weapons. There's a difference. So, legendary weapons. Yeah, the difference being that some of these weapons, um, well, all of these weapons were believed to have really existed at one point. Yeah. Some of them still do exist. Some of them, we still have these weapons and they are on display in museums or wherever they are. And, uh, they're, they have uh, stories and lores attached to them going back hundreds, if not thousands of years. And a lot of these weapons are said to possess powers that are granted to the person who holds the weapon. So whoever yields it uh, will, you know, vanquish their uh, enemies and destroy empires and crush their armies and yeah. pre pretty much dominate the world, which is cool stuff. You know, it almost feels like why are we just letting these weapons sit around? Shouldn't we be like destroying these things, casting them back into the fires of Mount Doom so they can't be uh, wielded for nefarious purposes? Come on. Am I the only one who saw Lord of the Rings? We'll get to that stuff. Uh, we also go down a long list of legendary items. And Johnny and I have literally, I, we looked at a list of hundreds of items and we selected, we selected a group of five that we would wear unto ourselves and using these five selections, we're going to end today's episode by, uh, engaging in legendary combat. You versus me, who has the better arsenal of legendary weapons at hand? Yeah, forget about the creator uh, clash or whatever. This is the real. This is the real uh, uh, main event. Yeah, we looked up like legendary suits of armor, magical. Uh, I, I I actually put something in mind, which is a magical hamper uh, that uh, is said to have really existed. I have some enchanted uh, plants to um, put in your garden to fuck up your day. Okay. I don't know how you're going to combat the uh, legendary arsenal that I've put together to attack. I, I don't. You. I I don't know. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna see what you have. Sure. Um. Yeah. Is it? It's an exciting episode. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited hyped to get into it. Me too. How are you doing before we get into it? Uh, you feeling good about? You know, we recently did the back rooms. Yeah. And that was a well-received episode. Yeah, that was great. Uh, you know, it was kind of, uh, you know, a strange topic. I know we usually do like more grounded and, and, and more older stuff, but I, I thought it'd be interesting if we did something more modern um, with the back rooms. Yeah. And uh, yeah, some people weren't down, but, you know, I think most people were down and uh, all the comments were great. I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed us doing that episode. It was our most successful episode of all time. I think so, so. I would say that most people were down. Yeah. And going back a few weeks uh, even further, we did a yokai episode mm. uh, and that actually kind of inspired this episode. If you saw that episode, you may remember we talked about the Oni Baba, who was a terrible ogre demon hag who ended up being defeated when a samurai had a Buddhist statue on hand that he prayed to, and the statue came alive and turned into a magical bow and arrow that he was able to use to slay the Onibaba. Um, you know, that was such a cool part of that story. It yeah. kind of got the gears turning of what other badass weapons are out there in our collective lore. Yeah, it, it turns out there's so many. Like, I didn't even think... I wouldn't... When you sent me that list of just general legendary weapons, I didn't even consider some of them to be legendary weapons. But uh, I was baffled at, like, what you can really <laughs> break down from, from all these different uh, yeah, it, sects of myth mythology. It ranges all the way from weapons like 
Excalibur, which have a name and are known to have belonged to a certain person and played a certain role in these stories, highly specific to almost like the very vague, uh, something on that list was like a flaming sword, which appears throughout all kinds of stories and mythology. And it's just, yeah, whenever a sword, uh, is imbued with spiritual energy, it is said that, you know, it might appear to be glowing or flaming. Um, but it was just very general. Like, yeah, you might come across flaming swords in your legendary journeys. Yeah. A lot of D&D-esque stuff going on. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, if you, if you like D&D, if you like video games, this is the episode for you. Yeah, we're going to be talking about a lot of famous weapons that actually appear in video games like Final Fantasy and uh, a bunch of other like combat games yeah. and RPGs. Many of you have probably heard of these. Um, I think we should just jump right into sure. it. And I want to tell everybody about a sword that I got really excited about. It's my number one pick for today's episode. I want to share it with you. This is basically the greatest sword in the world that you've never heard of. Oh. And it's a sword called Durandal. Durandal. You ever heard of Durandal? No, but it sounds like something from Final Fantasy. It it appears in a lot of video games. Okay. Yeah. So Durandal is an Excalibur style sword it it basically comes from the same era as excalibur but it belonged to the french legendary paladin known as roland okay i think i've heard of roland before you may have heard of roland roland is a famous folk hero from medieval france Mm -hmm. he is said to have been uh the nephew of king charlemagne And was also said to be Charlemagne's greatest warrior. In fact, Charlemagne had almost like a secret service. Now, more like uh, a team of highly skilled assassins called the Twelve Peers. They were his knights of the round table. They were his core military hit squad. And the leader of the Twelve Peers was Roland. Uh, the strongest of all 12. And Roland was armed with this sword called Durandal. So far, this is sounding exactly like Berserk. You're going to love this. And I'm hype. <laughs> Johnny, you're going you're gonna to see where the Berserk inspiration yeah. came from. So, where did, how did Roland come to get Durandal? By the way, let's go to the close-up camp. I have a picture oh, yeah. of Roland here, and it's badass. That is... Roland, yeah, uh, with Charlemagne. That's Roland in front. He he also had a magical horn oh. that he could alert uh, people to uh, danger by blowing on his horn. And I think you could see it looks like a giant red penis, but that's actually Durandal hanging from his <laughs> hilt. <laughs> yeah. So that's a that's a uh, drawing of Roland. Now the now you know what Roland looks like. So um, it is. There's a couple of stories to how this sword got created. Mm. One story, kind of the simplest one, is that it was crafted by this Norse swordsmith named Waylon the Smith, who was known to be incredibly talented, but also extremely violent and hate-filled. And so any sword created by Waylon the Smith had like violent energy attached to it. And so that is why some people say Durandal was such a powerful weapon. Okay. Imbued it with his hatred. But there's even better stories about Durandal because in another, all of these stories come from epic medieval poems that were Mm. written about Roland. There's one called The Song of Roland. There's another one called Orlando Enraged, kind of a Spanish poem about the hero Roland. So in one of these poems, it is said that the sword was given to King Charlemagne by an angel. And the angel told Charlemagne to pass it on to his greatest warrior. And it it is said that the angel told Charlemagne that the sword within its golden hilt contained a tooth of St. Peter, the blood of Basil of Caesarea, another saint, St. Basil, the hair, a strand of hair from St. Dennis, a piece and a piece of the remnant 
like the shawl of Mary, mother of Jesus. Whoa. All of these holy body pieces uh, were cast into the hilt of Durandal, and then the angel gave it to Charlemagne so that Charlemagne could pass it on to Roland. There's this uh, meme of this kid with like a little sword, and he says, I have the power of God and anime on my side. For real, this guy had this, the power. He had Durandal. <laughs> yeah, he was talking like, about Durandal. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's one story, one famous story, but there's a third famous story, and I think it's my favorite, that says Durandal was originally a sword that belonged to the Trojan hero Hector. And oh. if you remember the Trojan War, yeah. described in the Iliad by Homer, or if you ever saw the movie Troy <laughs> uh, by uh, Wolfgang Peterson, Brad Pitt and Eric Bana, Hector and Achilles were heroes on opposing sides yeah. of the Trojan War. And Hector was killed by Achilles, I believe. And and Hector was the greatest warrior of the Trojan army. And Durandal was said to be his sword. And following the Trojan War, the sword was lost to history until it was given to Roland by the magician... Uh, Oh, gosh, I have his name here. It's such a good name. I don't want to fuck it up. Malagigi. Malagigi. The Enchanter Malagigi. I am the Enchanter Malagigi. Oh, hello, <laughs> Roland. I see you've come for Durandel. Well, Malagigi has you covered. It sounds like a Yu-Gi-Oh card. Yeah. The Enchanter Malagigi. So, um, Durandel was said to be... The sharpest sword in all of existence. Okay. And it was also said to be indestructible. The sword was so famous that there is a legend of Roland using the sword to single-handedly fight uh, an army of 100,000 men. Now, as the story goes... Roland and Charlemagne were in France and there was an invading Muslim army coming into France known as the Saracen army. Um, and it was, I'm trying to remember the name of the king. Oh, it was led by King Gradasso. Gradasso. And King Gradasso brought a hundred thousand man army into France. You know why? To get that sword. Yes. He wanted, <laughs> guess. he wanted the sword Durandal. That makes sense. And he came to get it. And he met Charlemagne on the battlefield, and Charlemagne was outnumbered and needed to flee. And so he left Roland behind to single-handedly hold back the invading army. And guess what? Roland did it. Roland took on 100,000 men and even cut off the arm of King Gradasso in that battle. Cut off his arm. And in addition to that, if cutting off the king's arm wasn't bad enough, he also decapitated the prince. He cut off the king's son's head. He's murking everyone. He's murking 100,000 fools with Durandal. <laughs> He's just sitting there on the mountain pass just like hacking away and nobody can get past him. Uh, yeah, like this is reminding me in like the show Gundam Wing. Whenever someone says it's a Gundam, you know they're gonna die. So it's like it's I imagine like, like it's Durandal. <laughs> it's Durandal. Exactly. This battle is known as the Battle of Ronkivu Pass. Okay. Well, um, as the story goes, Roland was mortally wounded, and he knew he was going to die, mm -hmm. and he didn't want the sword to fall into the hands of the enemy. And this is where we kind of lose track of Durandal. We don't know exactly what happened to the sword, but a couple of things are said to have happened in this story. First of all, I don't know. I, they say Roland was mortally wounded and he knew he had to get rid of the sword, but I don't know how long this wound took to kill him. Yeah. Because, uh, or maybe I'm getting my timeline mixed up here, but Roland decided that he would rather destroy the sword rather than let it fall into the hands of the the invading army. So he took the sword and struck it against a stone 
uh, but was unable to break the sword. Too strong. In fact, the sword was said to be so strong that it cut away at the stone. They say they know the spot where Roland did this. Yeah. It happened in the Pyrenees Mountains okay. in the border between France and Spain. Uh-huh. In the mountains, in the cliff side of the mountains, is a massive gap known as Roland's Breach. Whoa. And it is said that this is the spot. Let's go to the close-up cam. This is the spot where Roland tried to break his sword, tried to break Durandel. <laughs> Wait, is that cavern? And <laughs> carved this hole <laughs> into the mountainside. Yeah, like that's some carved fucking... This, this is like a 40-foot wide yeah. gap in the mountainside. This is known as Roland's Breach in the Pyrenees Mountains. Yeah, I want that Ash of War, dude. So this is, that's how strong Durandel is. It's indestructible. It broke the fucking mountain. (laughs) He carved a hole in the fucking mountain with the sword. As he was dying. Yeah. Knowing that he uh, could not destroy the sword, that the sword was indestructible, two stories arose. They say that uh, when Roland died, he hid the sword underneath his body. And nobody was able to find it or or the invading army was unable to find it. And the sword was recovered and taken to a shrine. I don't like that story. There's another story that says that in a town um, close to the battle, Roland took the sword and threw it as hard as he could. And because the sword was so sharp, Uh it got stuck in the mountainside where it where it remains to this very day (laughs) to this very day. And I have a picture here. Is this it? Uh, Is it right here? I'm supposed to... Here it is. This is in the town uh, close to the Battle of Roncavaux. There's a church there. Uh, Here's the church. And up above the church in the wall... Oh, yeah, I see it. You see here, there's a chain attached to it. They actually attached a chain to the sword hundreds of years later to stop people from trying to steal it. Oh. I have a close-up shot of it. Get that close-up. Boom. Whoa. That is supposedly Durandal, the Durandal sword chained to the wall that it is stuck in above the entrance to this cathedral. And this cathedral is also said said to be uh, the legendary resting place of Roland himself. Oh. Now, the tourist board of this town Mm. has, in the last few years, come out and said, oh, this sword is only a replica. Oh, likely story. But it's very rusty, and it's been there for a long time. So, the jury's out. Like, where is the real Durandal? And did Durandal even actually exist to begin with? That's up for debate. Yeah. But... Traditionally, it has been held that this is the real Durandal, mm. and this is the place where Roland threw it um, in like the year seven, 774, and it has remained ever since. Okay. So going on like 800 years. That's fucking badass. Um, that is the sword Durandal. I'm going to go there and pull it out. Yeah, and if you are so inclined, you could go there and pull it out, and then you yourself would possess the sharpest sword in all existence <laughs> That has the tooth of St. Peter and the remnants of of Mary, mother of Jesus <laughs> built into it. Uh, I got hype on the Durandal story. Yeah, no, that was awesome. I liked it. I didn't know that Roland was this like King Arthur level um, legend that comes out of France. Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, there's similar stories in all parts of the world. Like, I feel like there's a million kind of Excalibur like stories and they're all equally as epic. Yeah. In fact, uh, a little later today... Um, We'll, we'll get more into some of these medieval European swords, but I want to change um, change gears here and go to Japan. Okay. And the next uh, sword I want to talk about is actually not a sword, but it's about a legendary sword maker. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about someone named Marumasa Sengo. Marumasa Sango is known as one of the most legendary sword makers in all of Japanese history. Um, he's like up there in the top two. Mm. He is a swordsmith who lived 
sometime between the 14th and 16th century, um, as I said, he was a legendary sword maker, but he was also said to be completely insane and also an extremely violent person like Waylon the Smith. And much like Waylon the Smith, it is said that while um, Marumasa's craft, craftsmanship was impeccable, his swords, uh, which were of an extremely high quality, bore the curse of his violent soul. Oh. And it is said that anyone who picked up a Marumasa sword would be filled with an insatiable thirst for blood, would be driven to insanity by this hunger for violence, uh, and would basically become like a samurai berserk. I think this sword is genuinely in Dark Souls. Uh, Marumasa's sword? Yeah. Um, That's badass, though. So they say that um, Marumasa was such a legendary sword maker, nobody could touch him except for one other legendary sword maker. His only superior in Japan would be another sword maker named Masamune Goro. Oh. And um, as the story goes, there was a test once about whose swords were better. Mm. Masamune Goro or Marumasa Sengo. Sengo would be the one who was extremely violent. So what they did is they took the swords to a river and they stuck both swords in the river and they said that Sengo's swords cut everything in the river. They just put it in the river and fish would swim in it, into it and split in half and it would split stones in half and it would like part the water and anything that touched it would just be completely destroyed. Uh, by contrast, when they put Goro's sword in the river, it cut nothing. It had purpose. Yeah, and they said that Goro's sword was superior because it did not create needless violence. Yeah. You heard this story? I, ha I have it as well. <laughs> you have the other side. You, yeah, yeah. You're going to tell us about Goro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so you're, we're going to get the second half of the story from you in just a minute. No, I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, so Marumasa um, was so famous for making swords, he actually founded a school oh. for swordsmithing um, that uh, had his name. So you could get Marumasa swords that weren't necessarily made by him, but were made from his elite school of sword makers. And these blades were the highest sought after commodity in like no nobility, in the yeah, nobility class. Yeah. They were like a sign of your status. If you were anybody, you had to have a Marumasa sword. But because of this, and probably because of the blood curse associated with these swords, they were used in uh, an abnormal amount of assassinations. Oh, shit. Marumasa swords became the weapon of choice for political assassinations. So there's a story about the first Edo shogun, a man named Togugawa uh, Leyasu, and it says that when he came to power, his father and his grandfather had both been killed by Marumasa swords. And because of that, he banned anybody from having a Marumasa sword in his kingdom. He collected all the Marumasa swords and melted them down. And if you were caught walking around the kingdom with a Marumasa sword, you'd be punished by death. You were not allowed to bring one of these cursed swords into the kingdom because this. the shogun, his father and his grandfather had been killed by these cursed swords. And he believed that the swords held a vendetta against his family. So the swords were banned. Um, that made the Marumasa swords extremely even more rare because they were destroyed for all that time. Yeah. Uh, so that's the Marumasa swords. That's the blood curse. Oh my God. Um, now you can tell us about okay. the only swordsmith who is said to be superior to Marumasa. And that would be, uh, Masamune. Masamune. Goro. 
Uh, let me get this mic a little closer to me. Yeah, take your time. Yeah, so um, similar to uh, what you said, uh, Masamune was a Japanese blacksmith. Um, he was widely considered the greatest Japanese swordsmith of all time. Yeah, number one. Yeah, he kind of paved the way, and uh, he mostly made things called a uh, tai chi and a tanto. What are those? The tai chi uh, is pretty much just like the modern, or, or like very similar to the modern katana. Okay. And then I couldn't really find much info about the tanto, but it seemed very similar to like a dagger. Yeah. So I've heard that samurais would go into battle with a long sword and a short sword. Yeah. That's, and, yeah. And they would kind of use the long sword almost like a shield, like oh. to, uh, clash with the enemy's sword and hold their weapons down and then they could strike with the dagger to yeah. like hit the neck hit the vital organs and get in for close combat yeah so the long sword was the tai chi and the short one was the tanto and so that was like kind of he uh really uh paved the way for those um no exact date was known for like when he was making swords but we generally kind of know it was around like 1288 to 1328 okay which is pretty cool um so some, that's like a hundred year period yeah so somewhere in that hundred years he was he was operating. making swords that's like 250 years before um sango okay my guy uh yeah mostly uh he was known for making one of the greatest japanese swords of all time really yeah so i i i've realized you noticed this as well but like whenever a person would make a sword it would be like blank their name what do you mean? So like all of Masamune's swords are like someone else's name, Masamune. Oh, okay. Uh, I think similar to your guy as well as like blank his name. So the owner of the sword and the maker of the exactly. sword. Exactly. So uh, his most famous sword is the Hanjo Masamune, which was owned uh, supposedly by a man named Hanjo. Um, but I wanted to get into like why he had to develop these swords. And so apparently um, in the 13th century, uh, Mongols were invading Japan. Okay. And every time they would try to attack these Mongols, their armor was so strong, they would like all their swords would just bounce through it. Interesting. So the Mongols uh, from Mongolia. Yeah, led by uh, Kublai Khan. Kublai Khan. Yeah. I think that is either the grandfather or grandson of Genghis Khan. Okay. Related. Uh, that would mean they had made it through China and then crossed the, the ocean <laughs> somehow to get to Japan. Or maybe the Japanese were on the mainland. I don't know. But they yeah. were fighting the Mongols and the swords couldn't break the Mongolian armor. Yeah, so they turned to Hanjo and they're like, please make us a sword that could cut through uh, their armor. So he had to like redesign the way their swords were. And he developed uh, this technique that is still today used for katanas where you take steel and you melt it down, and then you just fold it over, bang it out, fold it over, bang it out. So it becomes like super strong. Compacted. It's like it's like not as strong, but it's like more versatile. Like it, it makes it the the steel thicker, but it could easily it could break easier. Hmm, okay, but it's like way more sharper. Um, it's said that he folded his swords thirty thousand times. What the fuck? To get the strongest uh, katanas. That means these swords could take years. Yeah. To craft. And I had heard, actually, I left this out, but Maru, Marumasa, yeah, his swords could take years to craft. Yeah. Uh, I, I, this is a, a side tangent. I, they, some of these uh, kilns that they use to make these swords still, like, there's, like, one that still exists in Japan. And it's, like, made from, like, sand. And it's hard to, like, keep it up because it, like, kind of wants to break apart. But they, they're still, like, Japanese uh, swordsmiths that do the same exact style of uh, sword making. Dang. Um, yeah, it takes fucking forever. And you need to train, I think, for like years before you even touch steel. Like you have to like watch a dude make it for like 30 years before you can even like touch it. So this is like a lifetime dedicated yeah, to being a sword maker. Exactly. Um, but yeah, mostly I want to talk about uh, the Hanjo Masamune, but uh, and I kind of wanted to figure out where it kind of started. Um, so yeah, like I said, one of uh, his best swords, the Hanjo Masamune, uh, is actually considered a Japanese national treasure. It was considered that in 1939, uh, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I think that I read once Japan has like five legendary swords that yeah. are considered to be their national treasures. Um, and they were all owned by, you know, famous people or were involved in famous battles. Um, so when Hanjo started making these swords, they, they were able to cut through the fucking uh, Mongols' armor. Okay. Uh, but... 
Masamune claimed that uh, he developed these swords to be like the perfect weapons for slicing through human flesh. Oh, like that was like they're literally designed for that. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> bold take the the key property made the sword so deadly. Uh, it's curved edge made it so it could like cut through like flesh with ease, which is kind of scary if you really think about it. What, the guy's a psycho. <laughs> Um, Mas- he also people claim that Masamune or Hojo Honjo Masamune had like magical qualities. Um, like he was a sword sorcerer, yeah, or a sword sage. Well, they just think that sword had a lot of power to it, and this is where it leads into that story that you said with the with the water. Um, they think that the way w- it, when it sliced through the water and didn't hit anything, that was like a sign of its magical quality. Like it wasn't able, it, like it could uh, magically dodge all that stuff. Hmm. Um. Sorry, I got a little lost in my notes here. I put everything in weird order. <laughs> uh, what I really wanted to talk about was uh, how, you know, he would make these swords for shoguns and they would kind of pass down the line. Uh, but apparently there was a battle. And uh, Hanjo, this is how Hanjo got the sword. He was in battle and uh, the opposing uh, samurai sl- like sliced at the, his head. Okay. And it hit his helmet. It sliced through his helmet and didn't kill him. And, but in through that, he was able to stab the, the opposing samurai. And he thought to himself, I'm going to keep his sword as a... Because uh, the sword was discerning? Yeah, because the sword was fucking badass. And that's the Hanjo Masamune. He didn't know until that. Like, he knew it was... Uh, I think all the swords have, like, a stamp of approval. Yeah, and a I, brand. Yeah, I think he's like, oh, this is a, a Masamune sword. So uh, it stayed with him for, like, years until eventually some other uh shogun convinced him to sell it for like 13 or not 13 like 12 giant gold coins where it stayed with that guy uh until world war ii okay from like the 13th century to world war ii it stayed with the shogun and this is where i got kind of bummed out but that's like 700 years yeah exactly so apparently after world war ii uh when like the u.s took occupation of japan yeah they decided to liquidate all of their weapons all of their swords and stuff. I have That's fucking dicks. Yeah, I have a, a photo here. Like, uh, yeah, we we want to make sure you never fight anybody again. So we're taking all your valuable swords. Yeah, you see that? Like, the, it's like the military with all the swords. Wow. That's- um. So seems wrong. I. That's what I'm saying. It seems like that's a bummer. Dude, like, what are they gonna do? Talk, with talk about cultural appropriation. Um. <laughs> those aren't your swords. <laughs> uh. But people like apparently in 1946. Uh. The police of this one area claim they gave uh, the Hanjo Masamune to the American forces. Um, in their uh, writing, they have uh, apparently it was given to a man named Sergeant Coldy Bimore. Sergeant Coldy Bimore. Where are you, bro? So here, what did you do with the sword? Here's a Colby. Th- <laughs> People you imagine real quick. Yeah, yeah. You're like 24 years old. You just came back from a war. And you you have the most legendary the Japanese. most legendary <laughs> sword in the history of the world, arguably one of them. And you're like, yeah, some, somebody gave this to me. Yeah, I, I just I stole it. Uh, you give it to your kid. Here you go. Go uh, <laughs> hit the tree in the backyard with this. So that's the thing. People think that this name may be like, uh, you know, mistranslation of like, you know, Japanese trying to say this American name. Yeah. So no one can find this guy. And no one knows if he really exists. Yeah, because uh, I'll tell you, an American named Coldy, Coldy Bimore does not exist. Like that is definitely a mistranslation if, of Colby, Colby or Cody or, or something. Cody, yeah. but Coldy, <laughs> Cold. Who the fuck names their kid Coldy? I, even in the forties. So that that's, that's not a real name. I want to end it on this note. That being said, who is Sergeant Coldy Bimore? Where is he? Uh, the Hanjo Masamune to this day. No one knows where it is. It's lost. It's lost. It's been lost since World War II. Yes. Because Sergeant Coldy Bimmore yeah. took it. It's yep. it, it. Dude, it's in somebody's closet. That's what I'm saying. It's in somebody's garage. Dude, there's definitely like someone. It's, like, a, it's at a swap meet. Someone's, <laughs> someone's great, great grandfather probably has it. And then like they, they're like, eh, this is a fucking stupid ass sword Bro, or attic. And they every, threw it away or some shit. Every flea market in America has a bunch of katanas. Yeah. And some of them look old as fuck. And one of them is probably the Matsumune Hanjo. Dude, that would be awesome. Oh, I, I forgot to show this. I have this is not uh I think this is a Masamune that still exists. Okay. Look how fucking pristine that thing is. Yeah, let me hold it up to yeah. the camera. Uh 
It's very shiny. It looks clean. Yeah. Wow. That's a money machine right there. Dude, that designed to cut through flesh. <laughs> it's got that curve on it. Anyway. Uh, I'm going to familiarize myself with the Matsumune brand, and yeah. I'm going to look for Dude. the Hanjo Matsumune. Listen, I live in San Diego. We have a huge <laughs> military presence going all the way back to World War II. Dude. If this thing is ending up in a flea market, it's probably in a Southern California flea market. Odds are. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take my shot. I'm gonna look for this sword. <laughs> I'm gonna find it. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us. Hey, I just want to pause. Yeah. Uh by the way, subscribe to Make a Strange on YouTube if you haven't already. Hit the notification button. Make sure you tune in every Saturday to new episodes and every Wednesday to our new mailbag episode. Uh we changed the day of our mailbags yes. to Wednesday, not Tuesday. Um be sure to check that out. Oh, I, I just thought it was funny. Some like uh, on our recent mailbag, we talked about uh, how should it be the hotline or the mailbag, and it was cracking me up. Someone commented, uh, "I don't know if you guys realize this show is called Mega Strange Mailbox." Well, we could change the name at any time. Yeah, so, so it's whatever we decided is <laughs> exactly. But thanks for pointing that out. No, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Please. Mega Strange Podcast. Okay, so. Let's pause for a second <laughs> and explain to our audience that we just had some technical difficulties yeah. on our show and one of our microphones cut out. And so we were talking about our personal experiences yes. playing with swords as kids and uh, half the conversation was lost. Sorry, everybody. We're going to redo. Uh, <laughs> we're going to redo the second half of this episode. But I guess what you missed in the conversation that was lost is Johnny's a big nerd. Yeah, and collected the kill build swords. I had all I had all the Hattori Hanzo swords, baby. You collected three katanas from the movie Kill Bill. Yeah, that I got from a, a flea market. Yeah, and you said <laughs> they cost about fifty dollars each, and then that uh, reminded me of a story that I bought a katana from a swap meet once mm. for about thirty dollars, and uh, when I took it out of the uh, hilt, it was so rattly. It and it's like in the handle. I pretty much knew like if I ever used this and hit anything with it, it would pretty much instantly break. I thought so, you were going to say instantly kill. Well, it would probably instantly kill too. It's essentially like a one-time use, one-hit kill, uh, one-use only disposable katana. Ooh. And I keep it in my house in case there's ever an intruder. I know, all right, well, I have this emergency sword for just one time I can defend myself. I like the term disposable katana. Disposable katana. That's what it is. One-time use. <laughs> use it and then throw it away and then call somebody to clean up the body. All right. Anyways, uh, I want to move on and sure. get back to real swords. Okay. Um, I want to tell you a story quickly about a legendary sword. What's different about this story is this sword actually exists. There's no debate about whether it exists or not. We mm. have the sword. Yeah. What is so legendary about it is the fact that it exists because for all intents and purposes, it should not exist. It no. defies logic that this sword is in existence. It's called the Guzhuan sword. I am sure I pronounced that wrong. Um, it comes from China, and it is a tin bronze sword that is renowned for its unusual sharpness, its intricate design, and its resistance to tarnish, rarely seen in artifacts from a similar age. Let me tell you how they found this sword. Mm. In 1965, some archaeologists were doing a dig along the Zhang River Reservoir in China when they discovered a series of burial tombs there. They discovered about 50 ancient tombs um, coming out of the Chu state. And in these tombs, they discovered over 2,000 artifacts from ancient China including this ornate bronze sword that was found in a casket beside a human skeleton. Um, this was discovered in December of 1965. The sword that was pulled out of the casket, and I should mention this casket was partially submerged underwater. Keep in mind, they were digging these tombs out of the Zhang River Reservoir. Okay. The sword was partially submerged in water. It was found to be in a scabbard that fit the sword so well, it was practically an airtight seal. The scabbard was finished in black liqueur. So they pull this shining black sword uh, in its scabbard out of the water, out of this tomb, this casket with a skeleton in it. <laughs> 
And when they pulled, when they unsheathed the sword, they found that the blade was completely untarnished, untarnished, despite the fact that it was over 2,000 years old and had been submerged in water next to a rotting corpse for that duration of time. It is said that the sword was so sharp that an archaeologist ran his finger along the edge and it drew blood. 2,000-year-old sword, pristine as the day it was forged. Damn. Uh, scientists didn't know how this thing existed. They actually ran some chemical composite tests on it to find out that it was like part bronze and part tin. And they basically came to the conclusion that whoever made this sword was an expert level swordsman, sword crafter, swordsmith. That's the word. There you go. <laughs> uh, and that they were able to create this blade that had been resistant to rust, um, for an extreme amount of time. The sword was found to have the this uh, inscription on the side of it that historians struggled to decipher. They recognized the characters as an ancient form of Chinese known as uh, birds and worm character or bird worm script. I guess it has two different kinds of calligraphy combined. One is very ornate which is known as the bird script, and one is more rudimentary and simple, known as the worm script. And so they had these this text on the side of the sword, and they were able to decipher it over time. Not all of it. We have a partial translation of the inscription on the sword, and it is said to be made for the personal use for the king of you, and then the two remaining characters uh, were unable to be deciphered, but historians believe that the indecipherable characters could be the name of that king. But we don't know. It's, it's one of the mysteries about this sword. But based on the age of the sword yeah. and the era that it comes from, there's only so many kings that it could belong to, and the consensus is generally that it belongs to a king by the name of Gujan, who was known to be a very successful warlord king. He ruled during a um, tumultuous time in China and was engaged in many, many battles. So if this is the sword of Gujan, as it is believed to be, mm. this sword probably felled thousands of enemies. This sword was probably the instrument that was used to decide battles that would end up in new kingdoms being formed. This sword could have been uh, instrumental in changing the course of history several times. Okay. Um, which I think just adds to the lore that after being pulled out of a watery grave that it sat in for 2,000 years, they opened it up and it was not rusted and it was as if it was brand new. <laughs> this is a pretty magical sword. That is awesome. Um, the sword is extremely beautiful. It's renowned for its decoration. It is said to have a repeating dark rhombi pattern on both sides. It's like a dark diamond pattern going down the side of the blade oh. um, with decorations of blue crystals and turquoise. Um, worked into the pattern as well. The grip of the sword is bound in silk and the pommel uh, is composed of 11 concentric circles. So it's a highly ornamental, beautiful sword um, that's very pristine. Now, there's a rumor about this king, Gujan, and it is said that when he would go to war, he would fill his front lines with criminals who had been sentenced for the crime of murder and had been sentenced to death. And that when the opposing army would meet Gujan's army, they would see every soldier in the front line simultaneously commit suicide. Which I can only assume would be a psychological mind fuck for the for army. Real. Like you show up and you're like, yo, this guy's been starting a lot of shit. We're going to go down there with our army. We're going to kick their ass. And you show up and the people like on the other army are like, we're ready for you. And they just start taking themselves out. And you're probably <laughs> thinking like, wow, these guys do not fear death 
uh, at all. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about it. Like, they don't even know they're prisoners. They just think that these dudes are just killing themselves. Yeah, they just think that the opposing army oh is, like, so fearless that they would lay down their life yeah. uh, for to protect their lands, when really it's a trick. It's a yeah. ruse. These guys are all <laughs> condemned to death anyways, and the punishment is, like, you just have to do it on your own. Yeah. Now... I think historians have come to say that that story is probably not true, Oh, but it is a story associated with the king. Uh, and so it's part of the lore. It could be true. I think, you know, I, I mentioned this to you um, earlier before our audio got cut and yeah. you said it probably happened one time. Yeah. Yeah. Probably it just spread like wild, wildfire. Yeah, it spread like wildfire. So um, the Gujon sword is perfect. It's untouched perfect. by rust. It's extremely old, submerged in water, was probably used to forge kingdoms. Uh, it is a national treasure in China. In fact, China used to lend this sword out to put it on display all around the world, but they stopped doing that in the 60s, and they put it on a list of items that are forbidden <laughs> to be released from China because they sent it to a museum in Singapore, and one of the museum workers bumped the sword against another oh. case and put a crack, a crack, in the Gujan sword. It's like the Liberty Bell. Uh, yeah, I just, the, you got to cringe pretty hard when a 2,000-year-old sword, renowned for its, um, for its, for the fact that it's still intact after yeah. so long, comes into your possession and you crack it. Oh, I'd be so afraid of losing my job. Like, <laughs> yeah, you lost your job. I'd be afraid of going to jail. Yeah, I'd be too. afraid of, like, Chinese assassins coming to get revenge on me. <laughs> um... Yeah, that is uh, the Gujan sword. It's oh, cool. uh, it's a sword that's still in existence. It's in China. We know where it is now. We don't really know where it came from or how it exists. Uh, and scientists are very impressed by it. I'm impressed by it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I wanted to do one more uh -huh. sword to talk about before we get into our epic battle. Oh. And I want to just briefly cover the most famous sword in uh, Western culture, in, in history. You, okay. You probably already know what this sword is. There's a hotel named after it. Oh, Excalibur? Excalibur, oh, baby. Shit. Do you know the story of Excalibur? Uh, I assume it's the sword in the stone. We don't know. Okay, never mind. Then there's, I guess I don't. There's debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we don't actually... Okay, so a lot of people don't know this, but the King Arthur legend is one of the oldest stories to come out of Britain. Yeah. We pretty much assume that the story is mythical, that it's all made up, but mm. it is so old, we don't actually know. There could have been a real Arthur. Yeah. There could have been a real Merlin. There could have been a real Lancelot. There could have been a real Excalibur. But these things took place so long ago, we really have no way to tell. It's an oral tradition that's been passed on. Yeah. And a lot of people are familiar with the story of Arthur uh, on some level. Maybe they don't know the exact details. Did you know that King Arthur's last name was Pendragon? Uh, why have I heard that before? You probably did hear that at some point, yeah, and it's Pendragon. deep within your brain. And it's like, why that, do I know that? Doesn't that have an, a good ring to it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Arthur Pendragon. Arthur Pendragon. That's from something. I can't. I mean, it's from this, but so Arthur um, was the son or descendant of a king named Uther Pendragon. Okay, but. For whatever reason, Arthur did not know he was the son of Uther. Uh, I don't know the Arthurian legend off the top of my head, but he was separated from his family and did not know of his royal heritage. And he believed that he was the son of somebody named Sir Ector. Sir Ector. Uh, and Arthur actually worked as a squire for a knight named Sir Kay. Okay. So... The sword in the stone traditionally, magically, appeared one day in an anvil. An anvil showed up in front of a churchyard on Christmas Eve. Well, Santa left it. Um, Santa's blade. Yes. <laughs> and this is believed to have taken place in the precursor or uh, essentially ancient London. But it had a different okay. name back then. It was called something like Londonium, Londonium or something like that. On Christmas Eve, the sword in an anvil magically appeared on top of this stone in a churchyard. And it was said that it was foretold by Merlin 
that the sword could not be removed from the anvil except by the one true king of Britain. Okay. You know this story. Nobles from all across the land came and tried to pull the sword out of the stone. They weren't able to do it. But a teenaged Arthur was able to pull the stone out of the the stone (laughs) effortlessly and by accident. By accident. He didn't even know the legend. Uh, I believe he was a squire for Sir Kay, and Sir Kay had lost his sword before a tournament, and he needed his squire to find a replacement, and so Arthur ran to the sword in the stone and yanked it out unwittingly. Exactly what happens in the Disney movie. That's exactly what happens in the Disney movie. (laughs) And then he was able to repeat uh, the feat publicly, and so everyone knew at that point that Arthur was actually the son of Uther and was the foretold king, Arthur Pendragon. Is there is there another story where he gets it from like a lake or something? I'm getting to that. Okay, sorry. Yes, I didn't yes. know. <laughs> that's, that's where the confusion okay, arises. Yeah, yeah. And so this sword that he pulled from the stone, some people identify it as Excalibur. It is said that when Arthur took this sword into battle for the first time to prove his worth, the, the sword shined so brightly that it blinded his enemies. That's cool. Yes. But it's so righteous. Like, it's so, like, uh, different from the other stories we've been telling where it's just like the sword killed millions. And it's like, for him, it's like, it's so beautiful. It yeah. hurt our eyes. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I agree. Um, Early on in his reign, Arthur, had, Arthur went to battle a lot. He had to defend his uh, kingdom against a lot of adversaries. Mm. It's a badass story. We should yeah. explore it sometime. But he fought in battle against somebody named King Pelinor. And in that battle, he broke the sword from the sword in the stone. He broke Excalibur. Oh. On Merlid's advice, uh, he was told to visit the Lady of the Lake. That's where I, I know that from. And after... Now that he had broken his sword, he went to the lake and was presented with a new enchanted sword. A hand came out of the water and presented him with Excalibur. So there is some debate. Both of these swords are named Excalibur. Yeah. But we don't know which one is the Excalibur. Is it the one that he pulled from the stone, which he broke early on in his reign? Or is it the sword that he got from the lady in the lake? to replace the broken uh, sword. They're kind of both referred to as Excalibur. Yeah. They really are. I think in in uh historical circles or whatever, you know, intellectual circles, that's both accepted that either of these swords could be Excalibur. I like to imagine that the Lady in the Lake like mended Excalibur, gave it back yeah. to. Him. By the way, Excalibur is not the real name of the sword. I've heard about this, yeah. The sword is actually uh known as Caliburn. Caliburn, okay. Or Caliborn. Uh, and it has a bunch of names that are like Scottish and Irish and Welsh. But over time, uh, you know, it was kind of morphed into the name Excalibur. Yeah. Uh, this That's the modern name for the sword. Um, so it is said that when Arthur died or was on the brink of death, he ordered one of his knights by the name of Grifflet to cast Excalibur back into the enchanted lake. And Grifflet did not want to do it because he thought it would be a bad idea to toss away such a legendary weapon. Um, I guess there were two failed attempts to get rid of the sword, but then they finally decided, no, we, we really have to do this. And so on the third attempt, Grifflet did manage to throw the sword back into the enchanted lake. And it is said that a hand came out of the lake to catch the sword. And then once it held the sword, it descended into the water and Excalibur was never seen again. Terminator 2 style. (laughs) (laughs) With the sword. (laughs) Yeah. That's where the legend ends, but there is a real life follow up. Okay. Because historically, um, we apparently know where Arthur Pendragon is buried. There, oh. there is a grave at uh, Glastonbury Abbey. 
And in the year 1191, the, um, the grave at Glastonbury Abbey was exhumed, opened up. They opened up King Arthur's grave. Can you believe that? Oh. In 1191, they were wiling out. They must have been really bored yeah, back like, then. Yeah, like, pop this shit open. Yeah, we, we got just... nothing better to do. Uh, <laughs> let's open up the tomb of the most legendary king of all time, see what we find. I'd do it. Yeah, you would? I mean, you, you want to see if Excalibur's in there? Well, <laughs> do you think they found Excalibur in there? I'm sure they found a sword, but it, I don't know if it would be Excalibur. He probably had like a hilt, buried with a hilt. Did I nail it? Listen, this is all I'm going to say. This is all I'm going to say. This event happened almost a thousand years ago. Yeah. It happened like 900 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a little fuzzy on the details, but I'm just going to lay it out there. Okay. This happened 900 years ago. They said they found Excalibur. Whoa. They said they found it. Shit. They said they fucking found Excalibur. <laughs> they opened up the tomb and the sword was inside. King Arthur's tomb had a sword in it. Shit. They said it was Excalibur. They, they threw it in the trash. You know who got it? Merlin. No, Merlin was dead oh, by oh, this no. point. <laughs> King Richard the First, oh. also known as Richard the Lionheart. Oh. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. That's that's Robin Hood. Oh. Richard the Lionheart Dude. was uh, the king that went away. And then the bad king, I believe King John, replaced him. But they were always waiting for Richard to come Shit. back. Richard the Lionheart got Excalibur. You know he what he did with it? Gave it to the poor. No. Oh. Well, he gave it to somebody. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, gave he it to guy. his ally, a man named Tancred, King of Sicily. In the year... It got to Italy? In the year 1191, the uh, Excalibur was presented to the King of Sicily. And from that point on, it is lost to history. We do not know what the king of Sicily did Shit. with that sword. They got Excalibur and they gave it away. They fucking gave it away. It's probably with the Hanjo Matsumune. Yeah. That one's at a swap meet in California <laughs> and Excalibur is at a swap meet in Italy. Yeah, yeah. I what well, that's what happens with these swords. They just get given away. So if someone finds both of them, you're you're they're, you're up. unstoppable. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the story of Excalibur. Everybody uh, has heard of Excalibur. Yeah, you, yeah. you probably didn't know that there's two Excaliburs and it's a debate about which one it is. You've heard the story of the sword and the stone. You've heard the story of the lady in the lake. And now you know how they're connected. The first sword broke in a battle. And so they had to replace it with the second sword. The second sword. Some people say it was thrown back into the lake. Some people say it was buried with Arthur where it was recovered a thousand years later and given to the king of Sicily where it disappeared. By the way, yes. Arthur had another sword, a little dagger, Sex Caliber. That would be a great name. <laughs> I just made that Sex Caliber. I bet that exists. That's got to exist, right? Uh, Sex Caliber. It was called Carnwanon. 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 So he had his broadsword Excalibur and he had his little dagger Carnwanon. And a little story about Carnwanon. It is said that Arthur used Carnwanon to slice the witch of Ordu in half. And that is pretty much all the information I could find about Carnwanon. He sliced a witch in half with it. <laughs> he cut her down to size. You do not want to feel the wrath of Carnwanon, you thou witch. Witch. <laughs> cut her down to size. Carnwanon. Carnwanon. Excalibur's little brother. Yeah. You learned something today. All right. I did. Oh, That's not the end of our oh, episode, okay. but we have come to the main event. It's main time for the main event. Beat me to did it. I beat you to yeah, it. Yeah, you did. Johnny and I have looked through a list of uh, mythological items, and we have selected an arsenal. I have, I have seven items here, but I will limit I myself to. I will limit myself to four. Okay. You have four items. I have four items. We're gonna go back and forth. You throw an item at me, and I will throw an item back at you, and we'll see how this battle goes. Actually, you kind of said you wrote yours in, in short story form. Yeah, kind of. Okay. <laughs> Should I just do it? I don't know. Why don't you just read yours, and I'll pause you if okay. I feel like I have something to right. hit you with. So, first of all, I would start off with the Book of Life. Okay. Uh, this is a book which uh, God records the names of every person uh, that is destined for heaven or hell. So, I'd, I'd pop open that book. I'd find your name because we, we know you're going to hell. I'll let you know. Okay. And then, uh, you know, you get so bummed out that, you know, you're, you're like, 
you know, on your own path. Like you're all depressed and shit. Okay. And then, so uh, when you're depressed and shit, I'd summon Nemesis, which is a chariot, uh, or Nemesis is chariot, which is a, a, a chariot from Greek mythology that uh, is drawn by griffins. And since you're all depressed, uh, I'd try to cheer you up and be like, yo, Derek, let's, we should go to Egypt. <laughs> And, uh, you know, have a good time and go to the pizza hut that's by the pyramids. All right. Hold on. Let me pause you okay. right there. Okay. So you've decided that I'm going to hell. Yeah. And you're trying to depress me. Yeah. And you use this chariot to hunt me down. No, no. I'm, I'm taking you to Egypt. Oh, you're putting me in the chariot. Yeah, Could yeah. this chariot go anywhere? I think so, yeah. Oh, I heard about this magical chariot. You get inside and you imagine where you want to be and instantly you're there. Yeah, it's it's uh, Nemesis. It's his chariot. Okay. I just kind of wanted to find a badass chariot to take you on a cool trip. All right, well, here's the thing. I don't oh. trust you because oh. you've already told me I'm going to hell, and yeah. I suspect you're trying to kill me. Yeah. So I'm going to make it really hard oh, for no. you to find me. Fuck. So I'm going to wear something called the Mantle of Arthur in Cornwall. Uh, whoever is under this mantle cannot be seen, but I can see everyone. Oh, Which shit. means it's basically the invisibility cloak from Harry Potter. No. So good luck finding me <laughs> to take me to Egypt. Well, now my story's fucked. Yeah, you can't even find me to kill me. That's how <laughs> I'm going to start. Oh. But let's hear the rest of your story. That's that's my first defense. Okay, so I'm like, oh, you're so depressed. Let's, uh, let's I'll cheer you up with some Pizza Hut in, in Egypt. Okay. Um. So but I'm like, yo, let's make a quick stop. I just wanted to show you, like, I know a shortcut. So we, like, stop at the, the Red Sea um, where I pull out the Staff of Moses me as a Jewish person, I could wield it. So, what's the staff of Moses? Uh, I raise it and I part the Red Sea. Whoa! Like Passover is happening right now. Um, so I'm like, yo, check it out. There's a there was, there was a shortcut. <laughs> so uh, we we walk uh, in the middle where the the Red Sea is parted, and then hold on, hold uh, on, hold on. All right, <laughs> I. I don't know what your plan is. I don't know oh. how you're planning to kill me, but I know you're planning to kill me. <laughs> I got my invisibility cloak, but maybe you were still able to find me. Yeah. You're trying to take me to this pizza hut in Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, this is fucked up. So yeah. I, I got to do some sneaky shit. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to sabotage you. Oh, no. Yeah. So I have a patch of this legendary Irish grass. No. And it's called hungry grass. Hungry grass. Um, and when you sit on a patch of hungry grass, it causes perpetual and insatiable hunger. No, I already have that. Yeah. So you're going to try to do, but now you can't stop thinking about that pizza hut. <laughs> Fuck, I want the pizza hut. You can't stop thinking about that pizza hut because you, you sat on the hungry grass and you're so insatiably hungry. But not only that, because you're so insatiably hungry, I'm going to manipulate you. No. Yeah. Because I use psychological warfare. So when we get to that Pizza Hut, <laughs> it just so happens that I brought with me a legendary hamper. Yeah, it's called the Hamper of Gwydno Garen here. Yeah, the Hamper of Gwydno Garen here. Does it do my laundry? No. Oh. It says, according to the legend, food for one man could be put into this hamper, but then when the hamper was opened... Food for a hundred men would be found inside of oh, it. Oh, I'm gonna eat myself to death. Yeah. So I take one slice of the Egyptian Pizza Hut pizza <laughs> and I put it in the in the hamper of Gwendo Garen here. <laughs> and then I open it up and you see I have unlimited supply oh, of pizza. Fuck. And you're so hungry. Now you're starting to think, how do I get that hamper? Yeah. And now I've just you're not even thinking about killing me nope. anymore. You're thinking about getting my food hamper. Shit. Uh so go ahead, continue with your story. I, I've used three <laughs> items so far. I was just going to, I was at the end of my thing. Oh, okay. I was just going to like, when we were in the middle of the Red Sea, I had the winged sandals of Hermes on yeah. my feet and I was going to run away real fast and then close the Red Sea. Okay. The so Johnny closes the Red Sea on me and he just used the winged sandals of Hermes to yeah. like run away yeah. or potentially fly away. <laughs> yeah. All right. Don't that, worry. That's what I had. Don't worry. I prepared for such an event. Fuck. People, don't worry. All right, listen. I pull out Drake's drum. You, have you heard of Drake's drum? No, it sounds cool, though. Drake's drum 
It's not it's not the singer Drake, right? Is supposedly the snare drum that belonged to Sir Francis Drake. Oh, okay. Sir Francis Drake was an English explorer, a sea captain, uh, uh, a pirate, a naval officer, and a politician who lived in the 1500s. And he was able to circumvent the whole planet in one expedition. Yeah. Oh. That's why Sir Francis Drake is famous. Banging on his little drum. And he brought his, after he circumvented the world, uh, but shortly before he died, he ordered that his drum be taken to Buckland Abbey in England. And he vowed that if England was ever in danger and someone was to beat the drum, he would return to defend the country. Oh, fuck. I have Drake's drum. You're going to summon him like Elden Ring. And I'm going to summon. I'm beating the drum. <laughs> and, and the ocean is closing around me. But then the world's greatest explorer comes <laughs> sailing up. It's, it's circumventing Shit. the globe right as the Red Sea, you know, washes me up. And of course, I go straight to the top because I'm very buoyant. Yeah. And, and Sir Francis Drake, <laughs> Sir Francis Drake shows up and he rescues me. Oh, because he's like, I heard you beating my drum. <laughs> he sounds like Paul McCartney. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um. So I guess that ends in a draw. Yeah, it's a draw. Yeah. You don't kill me and I don't kill you. Yeah. I'm just really hungry and I'm, I'm flying. I'm running yeah. Like the flash. I did have a sword on me called a Dane's Leaf, which uh, is a Norse sword that belonged to King Hogni. And it is said that the sword gives wounds that can never be healed. And every time it cannot be unsheathed without killing a man. So Whoa. next time I see you. No. I'm going to unsheath it. No. And you might be the man who's killed. Fuck. That's fun. But you're going to have to wait until the next episode of Mega Strange to find out when that <laughs> happens because that's the end of our episode today, everybody. Thanks for watching. We'll Thank be back you. next Saturday with a brand new episode and next Wednesday with a mailbag episode. Call us up and leave us your story if you've experienced anything legendary on your own or maybe you have a famous ancient sword in your closet and you want to tell us about it. Anything you want to say, call us up. Let us know. Until next time, everybody, stay strange. Peace. Bye. <laughs>